0: So as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Tyra Gillette, who serves in many areas, including Celebration Place, which is the children's ministry for our Celebrate Recovery ministry. Good morning. Please join me in reading Ephesians 5:21 through 25. Submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the Christ submit, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. It is good to be with you here this morning. My name is Ryan, for those of you that I may not know. Uh, A month ago, so back in May, my my wife, Kate, and I, we celebrated 13 years of of marriage together, a 13-year wedding anniversary, (laughs) which I'm sure for some is like, hey, that's really impressive. For others, you're like, oh, so you're still in the honeymoon phase, right? Call me in 20 years when, uh, you know, you've been married for a little while. Um, yeah, we, we celebrated celebrate 13 years. It's weird to think that our marriage is now as old as a middle school student. So, uh, it's one of those weird like growing up moments where you're like, oh yeah, that, that's you know that's how long that's been. So, um, but you know, looking back 13 years ago, looking at our our wedding ceremony and what happened on that day, we we had just such a, a great time celebrating together and celebrating with friends and family. And you know, we had like 220 something people at our wedding in uh, Kate's friend's backyard and. Um, I thought that was a really small wedding because my, my sister had had like 500 people at her wedding. Um, and so I assumed that this was a really small wedding, uh, you know, an intimate gathering of 200-something people. Um, I've been told otherwise since then, but, uh, you know, whatever. It was still fun, and we did some things that were a little bit unconventional. We had a, a skit in the middle of our wedding. So our, my brother-in-laws, they came up and uh, did a skit to share how we met and got to know each other and fell in love and all this kind of stuff. Um, some people during wedding ceremonies have done unity candles or unity sand. Uh, we decided to do unity chocolate milk. So we, uh, we, you know, my wife was the milk, I was the chocolate. We poured them together and uh, had some chocolate milk up on on uh, on our ceremony together. And uh, we uh, for the for the reception, we said no, we're not doing cake. We did ice cream instead. So we didn't even have like our. our piece together. We had our, our bowl of ice cream together. And, um, and, and then we just kind of danced the night away because that's what we wanted to do. And so at the end of the, the, the celebration, the end of our wedding, we got into the car and all our, our friends and family were out there saying goodbye to us. And so we start pulling out down this driveway and everyone goes and turns and, and goes back into the, the house, goes back into the backyard. And when we get to the end of the driveway and I have to stop because immediately I think, oh, wait, I forgot my house keys. And then I realize, oh, I also forgot my phone and my wallet and pretty much all of my stuff, right? And so this, this happens sometimes where, um, you know, we, we plan the wedding and we plan the ceremony and maybe we plan the honeymoon. And then it comes to the end of that time together. And then we think, well, now what? Like, what, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? And, and, and what is the, the purpose? What, uh, what is the, the plan in bringing us together? And, and as Christians, we're asking, hey, what is God's plan for bringing us together? And what does he desire from us in marriage from this point forward? And so I wanna make the case today of a couple things. I think there's a lot of places we could go. But I wanna make the case today that, that Christian marriage is meant to be a, 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 part, a missional partnership and a mirror of a greater image. It's meant to be a missional partnership that reflects, that mirrors a greater marriage, something that is more significant than what we even have. So let's start with the basics, Matthew chapter 19. We're gonna kind of go through many different places in scripture today. But in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has some words to say about marriage and what it means. And so he's actually talking in this passage, he's answering a question about divorce, and, and this is what he has to say about marriage. He points back to Genesis chapter two. And he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so from the beginning, we see that marriage was designed by God to be between one man and one woman for all of life. There is nothing, Jesus says, that is meant to separate, that we are supposed to be united together. Now, we know that sometimes one party or does not fulfill the vows that they have taken. And and so there are exceptions that are made for, of course, things like uh, abuse or or affairs um, or, or things of those kind of nature, these kind of extreme things that we see. But the idea is that you are supposed to be united together. And it doesn't mean that marriage is going to be easy, but it means that we are making a promise, a commitment to one another, to stick it out, to fight for one another, to love one another as Christ has loved us. And so when you go to a marriage ceremony, you typically see some form of vows. And if you're taking the traditional vows, then you hear the couple saying things like, for better or worse, in sickness or in health. In, 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 in good times and bad times for richer or poorer. Now we're always thinking richer health and good times, but we are making a promise that no matter what life brings us, that we are going to fight for our marriage, that we are going to demonstrate love that God has demonstrated to us, to one another. And, and so really in marriage, this goes back to what we talked about in the real relationship series, that we are practicing the golden rule with one another. That we do unto others as we would have them do to us. And and so we start that in marriage. That idea of, hey, how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? We start that. If we are in a marriage relationship, that is a covenant relationship. It is different than every other relationship. And so we have to make sure that we get that part right. That we are demonstrating God's love to one another. Well, how do we go about doing that? There's lots of places we could look, but I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has something to say to husbands and he has something to say to wives. And this is what he says, starting in verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I want to make sure that we started in verse 21 because I think that's the start of the the section there as a whole. But it it says this, this idea that we are submitting to one another. There is a mutual submission. And I want to start there because really, if you actually look at it, There's a difficult call to wives, and there's a difficult call to husbands. But what we want to start with is we want to start with the call together. That this is meant to be an equal partnership where both sides are participating in this. And so there's this word that is used here, submit, that some people don't like, that some people are scared of, that some people don't want to use, and that others overuse. And this word will again be used in just a moment to talk to wives, but we start in verse 21 and we see that there's a mutual submission that is taking place. So both people are supposed to submit and sacrifice for one another. There is an act of love that says, Hey, I'm being patient in how I respond to you. I am being kind and being proactive about loving you, but it's not all about me and my needs and my desires. And so I'm going to have to submit some things to properly move forward in marriage. I'm going to have to submit some of my ways, some of my desires, some of my will, so that I can lift up my spouse. And so he first talks to the wives. And he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And so again, he talks first to the women, to the wives. And he says, submit to your husbands, honor them, love them, demonstrate respect towards them, allow them to lead. And he says, this is what you are called to do. But again, there's mutual submission that is taking place. So immediately it flips and he says, now husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so he says, husbands, love, sacrifice, Submit yourself to your wives. And so what happens is sometimes in this passage, we see this first part, we see wives submit to your husbands and the husbands get really excited and they're thinking, okay, this is good because now my wife has to do everything that I tell her to do. And so we think, hey, babe, you have to submit to me. And then she turns it around and says, yeah, well, you have to die. (laughs) Like that's what the call is. And so immediately Paul is flipping this around. He's saying, hey, this is mutual submission and sacrifice that's taking place. And so when we do this right, what's happening is the wife is gonna to say to the husband, hey, I love you, I respect you, I honor you. I wanna lift you up, I wanna see you lead. And so I'm gonna submit myself to you. And the husband's saying, hey, I, I love you and I honor you and I respect you. And, and so I wanna lift you up. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna sacrifice. And if you're allowing me to lead, then what's gonna happen is I'm gonna lead by pursuing what you desire, what you want, what makes you happy, what fills you up, what encourages you. And then I'm gonna lead in that and loving you. And she says, great, and I'm gonna submit by loving you and leading towards what you need and to what lifts you up. And so we see that in a, a, a healthy Christian marriage, we are, as probably is true in every healthy Christian relationship, we are submitting ourselves to one another and lifting each other up. And, and so this is the way it's supposed to work. Now, just a quick added point. This doesn't mean that what we do is we go home and we say, hey, see, your job is to submit. Your job is to sacrifice. And I'm not doing anything until you do what you're supposed to do. We live out the call to be obedient to Christ, even when the other person is maybe not doing what we would expect, or maybe even what biblically is expected of them at that moment. And so here's where I wanna go, because we could spend weeks just talking about the nuances of what it looks like to submit and to sacrifice and to serve one another. But I wanna get to the main point, which is back in verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ those last five words are significant. That we do this not because we want to lift ourselves up. We do this actually not first and foremost to lift our spouse up. We love our spouse because we are being obedient to Christ, because he is the head of our lives. And this is what he has called us to do. And so in Christian marriage, the best way that this works is when both people are not first and foremost pursuing one another, but are first and foremost pursuing Christ, pursuing God and saying, you are the head and we exist to glorify you. See, that, that is true of all of us as individuals, as married couples, as families, as the body of Christ. We exist to glorify God. The Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism has these questions and answers that deal with doctrinal issues and theological issues. And and, and Westminster Shorter Catechism question one asks, what is the chief end of man? What is our purpose? Why are we here? And it answers the question by saying we exist or or the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And, And so this is our purpose. This is why we are here. And so you could, you could stop and you could look at that enjoyment piece and you could say, hey, this is the relational side of God. That we get to be in his presence. That we are welcomed into relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Like that shouldn't happen. And yet God wants us to come to him and he wants us to enjoy our time with him, to enjoy relationship with him. It's not just here, go do this and go do that and, and, and go follow a bunch of rules and, and do all these things. No, it's come and rest in God's presence enjoy relationship with him but there's also the glorify god part where we see god in glory where we see him lifted up where we see that he is holy that he is set apart that he is creator that he is powerful and and so we get a picture of both of these things happening where we are glorifying god and enjoying him forever john piper actually uh switched the wording a little bit and said glorify god by enjoying him forever And, and i think that's a good scriptural way of looking at it as well that God wants both of these things to happen. Because really, when you think about what does it mean to, to glorify God, I, I go to the, the greats, the great command and the great commission. And the great command, it says that, that our, our, our purpose, that the main thing we're supposed to do is to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And, and then you turn over to the great commission, and really it says that we do this essentially by going and making disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded. And so this is our call as Christians, individually, together in marriage, as families, and together as a church. This is our call as believers to glorify God and to enjoy him, to love God, to love others, to make disciples. And so here at Christ Community, we, we kind of summarize it by saying this, that we exist to make fully committed followers of Jesus Christ through love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And so if that's our call individually, then as a married couple, that is our call together as well, to be on mission together. As a matter of fact, I think that's what we see in Genesis chapter two. You go back to the very beginning and you look at what was God's plan for marriage? What was God's plan for relationship? And in Genesis chapter two, he has created Adam, he's created the man. And then he says this in verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now that word helper, some people feel like, wait, wait, wait. So, so you know, does that make the, the woman, the, the servant of the man because she's the helper of the man? But that word helper that is used there is, is used several other times in the Old Testament. And most of the time it is used to describe God's relationship towards his people. So God is the helper of his people. So again, there's an equal partnership in what is happening here. But the word helper is significant because God didn't say, hey, Adam's lonely, so I'll make him a friend. He didn't say, hey, what, God, what Adam needs is, is a companion. He didn't say what Adam needs is, is a lover. He didn't say what Adam needs is eye candy. He didn't say what Adam needs is is a trophy wife. No, he said what Adam needs is a helper. A helper for what? Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter one, verses 27 and 28, we see that man and woman are created. It says this in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So they're both there. And then verse 28 comes, which is the cultural mandate, their mission, their purpose. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so God says, I want to make a helper because I have a mission for you. I have a purpose for you to go into the world and to make God's name great. And he's saying, you can't do that on your own. He's saying it it is better for you if you are in partnership with someone else. Someone who will be there to encourage you. Someone who will be there to pray for you. Someone who who will be there to, uh, to, to speak truth to you, to challenge you. Someone who will be by your side when it feels exhausting and overwhelming. And so the primary goal of marriage is to be on mission for Christ. The primary goal of marriage is not simply to love one another and to uh, just bless one another. That's a part of it. But our goal is to also think outside of ourselves, that we were brought together to be on mission. So we demonstrate God's love towards one another because that's what God has called us to do towards all people. And then we take our marriage and we say, how does our marriage glorify God? So again, for my wife and I, our, our, our goal, our purpose is not to simply build our house and to build our bank account and to go on as many vacations as we can, to retire as early as we can, so that we can live life in our own comfort, in our own enjoyment. That sounds really nice, but that's not the primary goal. The primary reason that God brought us together is to encourage one another, to pray for one another, so that we together can be a light for Christ. So our goal as a married couple is the same as what it is as an individual, is to go and make fully committed followers of Jesus Christ through love, acceptance, and forgiveness. God created man and, and, and woman, and he put them together in relationship so that they could make God known. You know, the reality is, is that God brings us together as a church for that same purpose. This is not a social club. But the first reason that we exist is not to make friendships in the church. These are good things. Fellowship is important, but fellowship exists so that we can encourage and strengthen and support one another in mission for Christ. And so these relationships, Christian relationships, we are brought together to make God's name great, not to be comfortable together, but to make God's name great. I love the way that the Spirit moves. This was just a, a Holy Spirit moment in what Dustin had prepared for us in, in the offering moment, in the prayer moment, because you know, we didn't discuss this plan together. But what Dustin was talking about, about saying, hey, you know, as a church, we should also be thinking about other churches, because it's not just about Christ Community Church. It's not just about our gathering. It's about the gathering of God's people through all the land, through all the world at all times. And, and so we need to think outside of ourselves not just primarily thinking inward about how we can make ourselves more comfortable and how we can uh, just bond together more, but we need to have that outward focus as well. And, And this is what's being talked about in Genesis and this is what's happening in marriage is that we don't just simply live to glorify ourselves or to glorify our spouse, but we live to glorify God and to make his name great. And so we are brought together to do that. And in marriage, we actually get to do this in a really special way because as we love one another and, and we see in marriage that our marriage is a reflection of God's love for his people. See, Jesus actually uses a lot of wedding language in the gospels. He does parables where he's talking about marriage and weddings and saying, hey, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what Jesus is like. And so we know that Christ is the groom and the church is his bride. And in Revelation 19 we see this picture of the wedding feast of the lamb, this celebration as we enter into eternity, as, as this marriage relationship, as this uh, relationship with our heavenly father, with our creator, with the bride and the groom becomes official. And so Revelation chapter 19, verse six says this, as then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Again, we're giving God the glory. And then it says this, for the wedding of the lamb, the lamb being Jesus, has come and his bride, the bride being the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And so here in Revelation, we see that picture that in the final days, it will be this this wedding feast, this celebration that is going to take place. And to really understand God's relationship with his church, we need to understand what weddings look like and what they did look like and and to see the, the image that that reflects. And so weddings 2,000 years ago when Jesus was writing and when John was given this revelation, they were uh, similar in some ways to what we have today, but also very different. So what would happen is the bride and the groom would come together and would agree to be married, and this would be a contract that was agreed upon between them and their families. And typically there would be about a year-long preparation period, a year-long engagement period as they got ready for the wedding. Now one of the ways that weddings 2,000 years ago were different was that it was the groom who primarily did all the preparations. Nowadays, of course, the bride has been getting ready since she was like nine years old, and the groom is just the final piece of the puzzle. But it was the groom who would do all the preparation for the celebration, and he was getting ready for their life together. So he would actually go to his father's house, and typically he would build a room in his father's house for him and his bride. Or sometimes they would go and build a house separate entirely. And so when the day came for the wedding to take place, the groom would get dressed up and he would gather his friends together and they would go marching through the city with great celebration and singing and dancing and loud noises as they paraded to the bride's house. And they would take the bride and they would carry her on their shoulders and they would bring her to the celebration. And the whole town was invited to participate in this. And so there would be singing and dancing and rejoicing and eating and drinking and all these great things that they were celebrating this bride and the groom. And then when the the celebration ended, they would go to the room that had been prepared. They would go to the house that had been prepared, and they would start their lives together. And so when we look to God's relationship with us, we see that marriage reflects so many of the things that, that, that God believes about us, that God sees in us, and that we have in relationship with God. And so the first thing that marriage reflects is that God chose us. God chose us. There's nothing that we can do to get to God on our own. And yet God, in his great love for us, stepped down from eternity to give his son as a sacrifice for us so that we could have life through him. He chose to extend grace and mercy to us. He chose to offer forgiveness. He chose relationship with us. He said, You are wanted, you are chosen, you are loved. Which leads to the second thing, and this is that it is a party, it's a celebration. Right? Our relationship with God is a celebration. God celebrates when we choose to put our trust in Him. When we come to saving faith, there's a celebration. In Luke 15, we see these three parables, these three stories, we see the lost sheep and the lost coin, and then we see the prodigal son. And every time when the lost is found, when the dead comes to life, when someone comes to saving faith in Christ, there is a great celebration. There is a party that happens. There is rejoicing that takes place. And so we understand that God rejoices in his bride, that he celebrates us coming into relationship with him. And so when we put our trust in him and receive saving faith, there was a celebration that took place. And when we step into eternity and we stand with God in heaven, there will be a great celebration that takes place. God's not just standing at the gate being like, all right, I guess you can come in. Like, welcome. No, he is standing there rejoicing, ready to celebrate with us. And so the third thing is this, is that because of how excited God is, God is preparing a place for us. He prepared for us. See, Jesus actually used the language in the book of John where he's telling his disciples that he's going to die and he's going to go into into heaven. and, And they're feeling sad that they're losing their Lord, their Savior. And he says, no, this is a good thing because first of all, I'm going to come again. And he says, in that time while you're waiting, while I'm gone, I'm going to be preparing a place for you. I'm going to prepare a room in my father's house for you. God is prepared for us. He is ready for us to come into relationship with him, to come into eternity with him. The fourth thing is this is the reminder that it is just the beginning. That the, the, the wedding didn't end on the day of the, the ceremony. Right, my wife and I, we, we didn't get down to the end of that driveway and, and then look and get out of the car and be like, all right, well, see you whenever I see you. No, that was the start of our life together. And in our marriage, I can say that it has gotten better and better and better each and every day. Each and every year we look back and we think of all the amazing things that we've gotten to done, that we've gotten to do together since we started our relationship on that wedding day. And so with God we enter into relationship with Him, and yet it's just the start of eternity with God, as we continue to get to know Him and experience His love and demonstrate love towards Him as well. And so the final piece is this, is that the bride prepares herself for the groom. The bride prepares herself. And so we are preparing ourselves for Christ. For the day that we meet Christ in eternity, we are preparing ourselves for him now. And what that means is that we are being faithful to him in each and every moment of each and every day, understanding that at any point he can return or he can call us home. And so we are living as faithful witnesses, as faithful servants, as the faithful bride waiting for the groom, waiting for the day of the wedding celebration. And so we prepare ourselves really through spending time in God's word, guarding our hearts against the attack of the enemy, guarding our hearts against the things that try and pull us away, centering our lives around scripture. We prepare ourselves in prayer in talking to God and listening for his voice. We prepare ourselves in worship by surrounding ourselves with with Christian community, with brothers and sisters in Christ who encourage us and lift us up and partner with us in mission together. And so this is the image that marriage reflects. This is the love that we reflect to our spouse and the, the love that us and our spouses reflect towards one another, towards others on the outside as well, towards the not yet gathered we as the church have been brought together, have been given relationships so that we can partner together in mission to make God's name great. And so we demonstrate his love towards one another and we demonstrate his love towards the not yet gathered, proclaiming the name of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel message so that his complete bride can be welcomed at the wedding feast of the lamb. And so if you are married, what a blessing that is to have a partner in mission together. Demonstrate God's love towards one another, but also don't be so inward focused that you miss out on living in the mission that God has in store for you. And if you are not married, that's what we have here as the church. We have these relationships that are necessary that we get to join together in partnership to proclaim the word of God, to proclaim the name of Jesus and to make him great. And so let's love one another the way that God has called us to do, Let's be a a reflection, a mirror of his love, of the relationship with him, and let's live on mission, proclaiming the name of Jesus for all to hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give you thanks for your great and amazing love for us. We give you thanks that you have chosen us, that you celebrate when we come to faith in you. God, that we have only just begun in relationship, that we have all of eternity to dwell with you, to be present with you, because you have prepared a place for us. So God, help us to be a faithful witness, a faithful child, a faithful bride to you. God, that we would guard our hearts against the attack of the enemy, that we would live for you in the the ordinary And the highs and the lows and everything in between. God, would we love one another the way you have called us to love one another? And would we be a demonstration of your love to all we come in contact with? So God, I thank you for the gift of marriage. I thank you for the blessing in my wife. And I pray that for those of us who are married that we would understand that you have brought us together to serve you. And so God, help us to point one another towards you and to show the world who you are. We love you and we thank you for including us in relationship and for including us in what you're doing and building your kingdom. We pray these things in your son's name, amen.